BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I just try to be Brittany, you know, and be me, and hopefully people accept that, you know. This is The Vault by Access Hollywood. We're taking you on an epic journey into the heart of Hollywood with iconic interviews and fascinating conversations from the biggest stars in the business. The Vault opens now. Hello and welcome back to the podcast, everybody. I'm Scott Evans. And I am Zuri Hall. And this is a pretty special episode of The Vault by Access Hollywood. Today, we're going to be talking about a true pop star, Britney Spears. You know the name. She's a Grammy award-winning singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, entrepreneur, and has had a massive career. Mm -hmm. Think about being 16 and launched into the spotlight. Stratosphere. Right? Of super stardom. I mean, stratosphere is is the same. It's the same. I need to wear the more dramatic, but yes, stardom. (laughs) But a hundred million records sold worldwide. I mean, you could almost just start there. You don't even have to talk about the movies and the Vegas residencies and the clothing lines and the Mm -hmm. the photo shoots and the you don't the the iconic performances and music videos. But I mean it is decades long career. Absolutely. Britney is one of the few artists in history to have had a number one single and a number one studio album in the U.S. during each of the three decades of her career. Also important to note, a career that even spans three decades. Right. Accomplishment in itself. Right. People are trying to last three years out in these streets. Do you these hear days. me? So, What's the, how long is the Instagram story? <laughs> 13 <laughs> seconds? If you can last longer than that, you might be winning. Exactly. But listen, we have a special, very special guest with us today. Mm-hmm. If you have not tuned in to the Framing Britney documentary on Hulu, I'll be honest with you, you're missing out. Yeah. You're missing out in a major, major way. We have one of the creators of the film joining us for today's episode, senior story editor for the New York Times, Miss Liz Day. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing well, and thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. We are excited to have you. Zuri and I have talked about this documentary, Mm -hmm. uh, I would say, separately and collectively. Yes. It just you can't you can't pretend, you can't go back. Once you've no. seen it, you can't go back. It is certainly a point of no return. Liz, what initially made you decide to d- dive into this story particularly? Would you identify as a super fan of Britney? To be honest, I have never really been a super fan of Britney, but we are around the same age range. So I've always felt a nostalgic connection to her. Back when I was in high school, she was America's golden girl, Miss Perfect. And then when I was in my early 20s, I watched the paparazzi and the tabloids and everyone uh, kind of relish in her downfall as a national punchline. So I really wanted to go back and reexamine her highs and lows to see what we could learn from her. What do you think it is about Britney's story that just has so many people intent with wanting more content, more information, uh, and feeling so connected to her story? I think, you know, she really epitomized the highs and lows of American celebrity. She came from a tiny, small town and clawed her way up to become, as you guys said, like one of the biggest superstars of all time. And to watch her almost lose it at one point and then have an amazing comeback all under this mysterious conservatorship, I think people just want to understand that. I think also she attracts a very passionate group of friends because a lot of outsiders, um, you know, 
recognize themselves in her, in her struggles. And that's why they care so much about her and really, you know, want to raise awareness of her situation now. There are so many people who care about Britney who are fans of her work. I was a fan particularly of, you know, her earlier work. I, I was just as excited as any other, you know, school-age girl who, who was hitting me baby in one more time. And um, when you <laughs> think, I just made one that a verb. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> hit God, me please. baby in one more time. And <laughs> I don't know if they gave you a disclaimer as to what to expect when it comes to the two of us. So I apologize. <laughs> Um, but I'm curious to know, uh, after Framing Britney came out, I mean, the conversation really just mm-hmm. kicked back up again about this woman that we've all loved in different ways over the decades. Are you surprised by the public's reaction and not just the general public or the fans of Britney, but even celebrities who are coming out and voicing their support of her in the aftermath of your documentary? Hashtag free Britney everywhere. Yes, yes, quite literally. I mean, Timberlake has essentially spoken out and given an apology, and it feels to be because of the conversations that were started due to your work. Absolutely. I mean, the team that worked on this, we all found it very fascinating while we were working on the project, but we had no idea it would resonate the way it has, um, you know, with normal people, let alone with the principals like Justin Timberlake or, you know, people like Sarah Silverman who are owning up to, you know, things they've said in the past. So we're really, really shocked. And for me personally, I think what I'm most interested in is um, seeing how that can impact our behavior today. So like sparking conversations around what celebrities are we treating this way today that we'll look back on 10 years from now and think like we shouldn't be making those jokes. Wow. It's, it's, it is a, it is certainly a self-check situation about what you ever thought was appropriate, but more, but, but certainly what will not be appropriate moving forward. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we can talk about, there's so much I feel like to talk about. There's so much to dig into. And I, I do though, I'm I'm curious to know what was it specifically that the team at the New York Times said, okay, this conservatorship, people need to know more about it. Everyone is curious about it. We have the resources to tell this story. Why was this the story over anything else that could have been told? I think that a lot of people don't even know that for the last 13 years, Britney has been under conservatorship, which grants someone else special powers over her day-to-day life and her fortune. And this is really, really unique because conservatorships are these like extreme protections that are generally for the elderly, for people with dementia that need serious caretaking. And how could this person um, need that same level of intense protection, but also be able to perform in Las Vegas and make millions of dollars a year and perform, you know, guest host on X Factor and all these things. And by examining Britney's case, what can we reveal about the broader conservatorship system across America in which, you know, many, many people, countless numbers of people are involved in. So I think that was really, you know, the driving force uh, and the reason we wanted to tell this story. Have you guys heard from any of Britney Spears' family uh, or any of the people involved in the conservatorship about their comments or their feelings about your reporting? We have not heard from anyone in the family directly. Um, We have heard from some well-placed insiders um, since the documentary has aired. Um, And we've heard both very positive things and then also some really interesting tips that we want to investigate further. Uh, Anything you want to share? Anything you want to, yeah. Due diligence. We know. had to so do our due Listen, diligence. Yeah, what would we out. look like? Provide the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, should you, should you want to, you know. Expand on that. Yes, amazing follow-up question. All right, well, on that <laughs> note, uh, we are grateful, though, to have you here today, Liz, particularly because of your perspective as we dive into some of our, our interviews uh, with Britney Spears from The Vault via Access Hollywood. With this first clip that we're going to check out from The Vault, Britney was 16 when her first single came out.
came out, right? So she was 17 when the full album came out. And in one of our first ever interviews with Britney, she was only 18. This was one year after that first album debuted. And we joined the rising pop star in 2000 on her limo ride to the Teen People magazine party. Remember Teen People, Scott? I do remember that. That was like the event. And then when it went away, I was like, oh, no, I'm old. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, my God. We're aging. Uh, Britney had just broken a huge record by becoming the youngest person ever to sell 10 million records. Her first single, Baby One More Time, hit number one in every country that it charted in and has since, by the way, become one of the best-selling singles of all time. Britney's also listed by the Guinness World Records book as having the best-selling album by a teenage solo artist. So she is killing it, and she is not even legally allowed to drink yet. That's a win. That's crazy. a win. crazy. Wins all around. <laughs> uh, this is Britney. Listen to this. This year has been really, really crazy, but since, seriously, since I've been a baby, this is something that I've always had in me, and I just kind of knew in the back of my mind that it was going to happen. I mean, I didn't say, oh, this is going to happen, but, I mean, I dreamed and I hoped for it, like, forever since I was a baby, so it's just, like, a dream come true. I hope I never wake up. (laughs) And what about those two Grammy nominations? I know that has to be, we were talking earlier, that had to be, like, the thrill of a lot. That's, like, the ultimate, seriously. It really is. I remember, like, two years ago, I was at home watching the Grammys with my mom and my dad. This is before I got my record deal. And I said, um, just jokingly, I was like, one day I'm going to be up there. And we were all laughing. And so then I called my mom after I got nominated. And she was like, oh, she was so happy. Now the Grammys is just um, like such an accomplishment just to be nominated and such an honor, seriously. And you said you're going to take your parents this year. Yeah, this is going to be the first event for my dad to go to. So he's going to be so excited. And my mom, she, she gets so stoked just getting dressed up. So... We're going to have fun. I mean, I got to say that that I had a few questions for you, Liz, listening. But when that last sentence or one of the last sentences pops up and she says, you know, this is my dad's first time going to one of these events, I can't help but pivot to the obvious. What do you think of initially when you hear about her speaking about this rise to fame, her father, um, and them all experiencing this new level of stardom for the first time, particularly in the context of what we know now? Yeah, that's a really great question because that's exactly what I'm thinking about when I'm listening to that. The dad. So, um, you know, what we learned in reporting Brittany's backstory is that her father was not really a big presence in her life when she's growing up. Um, He struggles very intensely with alcoholism. He later goes to rehab. He struggles to hold down a job. He kind of drifts between construction and being a cook, and he later files for bankruptcy. So he's not this huge figure in Brittany's life. So it's really interesting that she mentions that, you know, she's going to bring him to the award ceremony and she's excited about that. And as we later know, you know, in 2008, when she's having her intense struggles in public, her dad swoops in and becomes conservator. And then, you know, for the next decade has largely controls both her personal life and her money. It's interesting too, because you guys heard, uh, I'm taking my dad. All I kept thinking even while watching the documentary, is where is mom? Where is mom? Right? There there would be uh, appearances, there would be interviews, there'd be music videos, and mom was there, right? But in these in some of these clips, like there's a there's a she's at what looks like a press conference, and there's a there's a gentleman, and I say gentleman uh, very loosely, uh, who shouts at her through a microphone, are you a virgin? Um, you know, and there's no one that stops and enter. There's no one that comes in and says, ah, ah, wait, wait, no, this is not what's going to, because while she is a celebrity, she's still somebody's daughter. She's still someone's kid. She's still a person that should receive a certain level of respect, but there was no one who seemed to come in and stop in your, in your reporting. Did you see, were, were you aware of stories where it was like mom tried to jump in and was unable to, or I mean, where is mom? That's a really good question. And one of the most common ones we get is where was her mother during all of this? And as you know, you know, they are very close when Brittany is growing up. Um, But 
Brittany's mother and father have uh, Brittany's youngest sister, Jamie Lynn, when Brittany is 10 years old. So right around the time that Brittany's really starting to become a child star and taking off, they have to take care of this little child, Brittany's little sister. So they're not able to travel with her. So um, that's where Felicia Culotta, who's Brittany's assistant, for lack of a better word, but really her confidant, her chaperone comes in. And she's really functioning as that guardian during those years that Brittany's becoming a star and getting shouted at inappropriate questions. Um, so yeah, Brittany's mom isn't necessarily there for those moments, you know, but she does have a manager and she has a team. So I would have loved to have interviewed them on camera and asked them, you know, what did you think during those moments when you were there and you know, interviewers were asking Brittany about her virginity? Liz, is there going to be a, a part two of this documentary? I feel like we have we still have so many people we need to talk to. There's so many statements we need to hear. We really hope so. There was so much that made the cutting room floor because we just didn't have the time to get into it. So there's a lot in our notebooks that we would love to do a part two on. If you had to tease one of those, if you just had to, you don't have to necessarily dive into the, the nuts and the bolts, but if there was a little thing that you would hope people would come back to hear more about, what might that be? I think it, it's related to your question. It's more of the people around Brittany. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of conversation around her business manager um, and the role that they may have played in, you know, the conservatorship and in managing Brittany's money. Um, there's just a lot of different players who we didn't get to get into for time, but I think would be really interesting to explore further. Yeah. We're going to go to a quick break in just a second. But Liz, before we do that, in this clip from the vault, Brittany talks about this being her dream ever since she was, quote unquote, a baby. Um, in all of your research and all of your reporting, what was your biggest takeaway about who Brittany actually was as a child, as a young adult? It, was this actually her dream? You know, we, we see these kids, particularly, I think about the Mickey Mouse Club era and the stage moms and, and sort of this world in which these kids are thrust into this world before you can truly understand what you're signing up for. Not to say that that's a good or a bad thing, uh, depending on how it plays out, but who was Brittany as a child? And and do you feel that what she said in that clip is an accurate representation of what she wanted for herself? Yeah. So Brittany as a child, I think, hands down, just incredibly precocious. Everyone we talked to said like, you know, she was this pint-sized little girl with an amazing voice. And uh, we feature, I think, a clip of her playing on uh, Star Search with Ed McMahon when she's 10 years old. And I think a lot of people think of Britney's voice now as kind of being, you know, synthesized or kind of high and fake, but she belts out, she has soul. This little girl has a beautiful, strong voice. Um, and I think that's really surprising for people. I think also just Brittany as a child was incredibly driven. So she's not only, she ends up becoming very successful as a singer, but she's a world-class dancer. She goes to an Olympic training facility for gymnastics. She's performing all different sorts of like talents at a very high level. Um, so I think that it makes sense that, you know, she found success in one of them because she was so good and hardworking uh, across the spectrum. Well, Liz, I, I hope that your space is real comfortable because we're going to take a break and we're going to get right back to it after that. You good? Great. Stick around. All right. Thanks for sticking around. We are back with Liz Day from the New York Times. Now, we're going to get to this next clip with Britney Spears for this episode of The Vault. Zuri, I mean, we can go, like, what? We went back to, to 17, 18 mm -hmm. with, with yeah, Britney? Yeah, she was 18 years old in that first clip. Okay, so we're going to stick in the, we're going to stay in the year 2000. This is just a few months after her second album, Oops, I Did It Again, dropped and immediately went platinum. Like, I think it was in the first week. Uh, and she was the only one to uh, have accomplished that other than Whitney Houston and Garth Brooks. So she's in, like, world-class artist range, right? Britney is still very new to the scene, though, and becoming more and more high profile by the day. Listen to this. Has it hit you what is going on in your life right now? 
You know what? I try not to think about it. At the same time, when they tell me stuff like that, it's kind of overwhelming. I'm like, oh my god, wow, I feel so thankful and everything. But I try not to think about it too much because it makes me a little nervous for some reason. You know, I just try to be Brittany. You know, and be me, and hopefully people will accept that. You know, so. When do you think you realized that this was happening? That you kind of had reached the stratosphere? Mm. Probably my first show with this tour, like the last tour I did, it was a good show, but it was a theater theater tour, you know. But this show was, you know, the first time I've been able to play like 18,000 people, you know, in front of them, and it's just like, when I was able to do that, that was my goal, you know, to be able to play in front of those kind of crowds. And last year, the Billboard Award awards as well. And I went to an award show, and I won. All of my idols were there, you know, like Madonna and Jennifer Lopez were sitting in the front row, and I was getting all these awards. I was like, oh my god, you know, it was <laughs> so cool. It was surreal, you know. Though, do you do when was I guess what I'm trying to get is when when did you first realize? Like, when did you walk out in public and people started going crazy for the first time? When was that, and what was that experience like? The first time that happened. Yeah. Ooh. Um, actually, I was in New York. And I was walking down the street, and they were doing TRL, and I didn't even know what TRL was at that time. I, me and my friend Felicia, my assistant, we were just walking down the street, you know, they were walking in New York, whatever. And there was this, a load of fans outside, and all of a sudden they say, "Brittany, you know, da -da -da, there she is." And I was like, "What?" You know, and my video, Baby One More Time, had just been on TRL for like two or three weeks, but they recognized me because they were like TRL fanatics, you know. And they're like, "Brittany, come here! Oh my God, come here!" And they just, I mean, I was like, "Oh my lordy!" They recognized me. Oh my, it felt so weird. And at first, you know, I was like, "Oh my God, this is so cool!" You know, they think I'm famous and whatever. But now it's it's still flattering, but at the same time, sometimes it's you know it gets kind of annoying. Like when you're trying to eat supper with your family, you know, and you're just there for your sister's birthday, and people keep on coming up to you and like asking you for your autograph. It's just funny how then it would have been so cool, you know. But once you get used to it, after a while, it's kind of I think it's a little overwhelming sometimes. It is striking how common the thought of man, I remember when I used to want this and now that I have it, this fame quotient, right? Not the performing all over the world, not that part of your dream, but the literally the fame Being part. Known. yeah. Yeah, is, is, it is described by so many as the part that is so overwhelming or by others that is so not the part that they want, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Speaking of her fans, you know, the, the, the free Britney movement, the free Britney hashtag, um, uh, it's it is hit all over again. In some ways, I wonder if that attention helps keep the conservatorship a part of the the pop culture conversation. But I wonder if it is also maybe not helpful to the process, or maybe it is. What are your thoughts on on some of the the fans' commentary around what's happening versus what's happening in the courtroom? Yeah, I, it, you know, it's hard to say because with any sort of online movement like the Free Britney movement, it's really diverse. So there's all sorts of people with all sorts of interests. But I was surprised that a lot of them are lawyers and a lot of them are really skilled investigators. So, you know, of course, there's always people spouting off random opinions, but a lot of the people in the movement are actually pulling the court records and posting them online and, you know, asking experts and kind of evaluating them at a more sophisticated level than you might expect. Um, of course, you know, it's, I think that question would be a lot easier to answer if there was more transparency in the conservatorship case. You know, if Jamie Spears were willing to sit down on camera and give his side and explain, hey, these are the things I think the fans are getting wrong. Or, you know, obviously, Brittany herself, we would love to hear her say, here's what I think of everything. Um, so in the absence of that, I understand why the fans are, you know, doing their own analysis. Yeah. Um, it feels very uh, foreboding to listen to Brittany uh, speak about fame, this new level of fame, particularly because obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and we know what awaits her when it comes to some of the perils of that fame. Uh, we're going to talk in just a minute here about the paparazzi culture and what that was in the early 2000s, which was just completely outrageous. But at the time, it was so normalized. Before we get into that, though, just some context for that, that relationship dynamic, if you have it, between Brittany and Felicia. She mentions she was in Times Square with Felicia. That was, you know, a close friend, a confidant, an assistant is what she referred to Felicia as in that clip. Do you have any information on their dynamic at that time? 
Yeah. So we interview Felicia in the film and, um, you know, she provided, I think the best glimpse into like who Brittany really is and what her personality is like and what sort of character she is. And, you know, to listen to Felicia tell it, Brittany has stayed very down to earth during like this era in which she is the biggest celebrity and, you know, she's getting her privacy intruded upon by everyone. Um, and Brittany really, you know, kept, a good head on her about like, you know, yeah, this kind of sucks in some ways that I can't walk down the street, but you know what? Like I'm incredibly blessed and privileged. So I think that was really interesting insight to get from Felicia behind the scenes. Were other members of Brittany's team back then, did you guys reach out to them to be a, to also sit down for interviews and they, did they just decline? Cause it just seemed like the, her entourage was, I mean, it was a close knit group, but I mean, she had a lot of people with her. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, we made a lot of effort to talk to her bodyguards. There was one in particular, big Rob, who was there for a long time, pretty close to the family. Um, unfortunately we weren't able to, to reach him. Um, but we did talk to a lot of people and one appears on camera, uh, who were involved at Jive Records with, you know, signing Britney. They discovered Britney, helped market her and make the music video for baby one more time. Um, but still, at the end of the day, Felicia was really the one that, like, you know, had, went home with Brittany at the end of the night and heard her hopes and dreams and her inner thoughts. So that still felt like the best perspective. Yes. I mean, her and her commentary just seemed so like, I just want you all to know how what it was really like. You know, I just want everybody to know what my experience with her was really like. And her experience must have been. One that was, I mean, we've said outrageous, but think about the early 2000s when paparazzi were on boats with the long lenses shooting celebs, you know, topless on the beach. And like this was when paparazzi had really taken things way, way over the top because they were getting massive dollars for these photos. So this next clip we're about to play um, is from 2002. Right. So it's not just fans that are a part of Britney Spears life on a daily basis. It's also these photographers who, you know, she seems to in some of the photographers eyes seem to have a relationship with. She, these are people that she sees on a, on a, a somewhat regular basis. And in 2002, uh, Britney was just 21 years old and is asked to address what happened when she gave the middle finger in Mexico. She had to clear up a little bit of confusion. Was she uh, flipping off the paparazzi or perhaps maybe some fans who were watching? Listen to this. I wasn't um, flipping off my fans at all. I love my fans. Um, we got off the plane and the paparazzi and all the camera crews, they were like, we almost got in four wrecks on the way to the hotel. And they were getting out and they were shaking the vans and they were really getting a little bit out of hand. And we were you know, we were in danger, basically. And um, I gave him the finger because I was I was not happy with that. So, But it was not my fans. I love my fans. You've been quoted as saying that I'm human and I get mad, too. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like sometimes people expect you not to be human? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It was just, I think it was my defense mechanism. I was just like, go away. <laughs> so. do you, there's so many young kids who <clears throat> look up to you. Do you regret having done it at all now? Um, you know what? I I think it's a blessing that people look up to me like that. I don't know what they see, but it's it's very, very sweet. But like I said, I'm human, you know, and I mean, I'm not the type of person I want to go out and do anything crazy. I don't think, you know, flipping your finger is not the nicest thing in the world, but I think it was just me basically protecting myself. Listen, <laughs> here is the and this is what I've said to you before, Zuri, like and even in our conversations about uh, uh, Britney Spears interviews, ones that we've conducted, that we've seen conducted. This is a smart young woman, right? She is not someone who is easily backed into a corner. She is savvy in the media. She knows how to conduct herself so that she says usually what she means or what she intends to. What what strikes me most in this in this situation, Liz, is the difference 
of interviews. This one, this is from a clip from 2002. I interviewed Britney Spears backstage after she was awarded um, uh, this incredible award by, or recognized by GLAAD. And it was a totally different conversation. Um, in fact, she seemed so overwhelmed with one camera, right? And me showing her a photo of her and Ricky Martin backstage at the VMAs, you know, her first VMAs or MTV Movie Awards. She said to me, ah, I said, what do you remember about this night? What do you remember about like hitting it big on this stage for the very first time? She was like, ah, the key to happy life, no memory. And then cut the interview. Right? Like the interview was done. Like it was like, I'm, I'm very uncomfortable. I don't really have anything else to say. Uh, thanks for your time. It's so good to see you. It was a very different person. And I'm not talking about someone who's grown up and, you know, has, has evolved a bit, but it is shocking how um, in control she seemed in this 2002 interview and how not necessarily in control. She seemed in my interview backstage at GLAAD. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, that was definitely a theme of our documentary as well was, mm -hmm. you know, how much control she had from a very young age, which I think surprised a lot of people who just assumed she was, you know, a talentless puppet who other people, you know, made. Um, but no, she's very much so the architect of her own success and very impressive in these interviews. Her responses are very smart and tough. Um, as to, you know, the evolution of her story in which she's at a place now where she is very much so not in control of her personal life or her fortune under the conservatorship. I think that's one of the mysteries of, you know, what is going on. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The the clip that we're about to throw to Liz is from 2004. But before that, when Brittany's talking here, the thing that stood out to me is she sounds so sweet. And she, it, what, but what I what made me kind of like laugh from just the ridiculousness of it all is that this woman technically grown right of age has to explain flipping off anyone first of all i mean it's a middle finger god help us all if this is what mm -hmm. like is the deep dive of the night um but the takeaway for me was that she is being held accountable for that mm -hmm. sort of behavior whatever that even means or implies and that from a very early age the walls are starting to like close in on her like if that was me being asked well can you explain why you flip someone off i don't know i was mad and they were in my space. But for her to be going through that on the public stage, I can't even imagine. Is it safe to say that by this time, the paparazzi, the media frenzy, the attention is starting to close in on Britney and maybe affect her, her mental health or her mental wellness, which would be completely understandable? You definitely see, you know, the first few years, she's Miss Perfect, America's Golden Girl. And then very soon after that, you see people coming for her. And that's often the press. They want to tear her down. And I totally agree with you. It's hilarious. Like, who cares if she gives the middle right. finger? Um, <laughs> but the media is obsessed with always asking her, you're a role model. Like, mm -hmm. what do you say to little girls that you did X, Y, or Z? And, you know, we show a clip in the documentary of the wife of the governor of Maryland saying, I would shoot Britney Spears if I could because of the, you know, role model she plays for young girls. And Britney's response is like, that's horrible. And I'm not here to babysit anyone's kids, which is really smart and impressive. Yeah. I think one, one last. Liz, that was a Diane Sawyer interview, by the way. I know. That was a Diane Sawyer interview. It just, it was, and I know that Diane, I, I, I'm sorry for, for interrupting, but I, when I heard about that clip, I was like, I wonder who's doing this interview. And so then when you see it and it is the decorated interviewer, the Diane Sawyer example in her own right for women everywhere accomplishing in the workplace, right? The absence of mind it felt like in that approach for the question totally it's fascinating and i you know i haven't really watched a diane sawyer interview in the last few years but i still 
feel comfortable saying I don't think she would do that today. Um, it's, you know, I think it was just very much so a sign of the times. Matt Lauer was doing it. Everyone wanted to like hold Britney accountable for the example she sets for young girls. Um, and obviously that's a lot of pressure to put on any one young woman. I think um, one last observation about that clip is, yes, the paparazzi are swarming her and hounding her and she gives them the finger, but that's 2002 we see the paparazzi get exponentially worse over the next few years, culminating in 2008 when Brittany really, you know, has her public struggles. And, you know, one moment we couldn't include in the film, but I've just, you know, been shocked forever about is that in 2006, two months after Brittany gives birth to her second child, the paparazzi take a very graphic upskirt of her. Um, and, the reaction is for everyone just to kind of laugh and be like, ooh, Britney's a mess. She doesn't wear underwear. Whereas today, you know, that would be criminal in a lot of states. So I think, again, just that, you know, Britney might have been one of the last big celebrities that was treated this way by the paparazzi. And it's really fascinating just to watch that footage and, you know, see what it was like. You are a consummate professional. But when you saw the the interview back with the with some of the the photographers at that time, in particular the 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 gentleman, and I use that loosely, the gentleman who was responsible for getting that he called it the money shot of her coming at him with the umbrella, it was his vehicle that she uh, hit. When you when you heard him say she needed us as much as we needed them. And you heard those kinds of comment, like rationalizations of why they were able to treat her the way that they did. I mean, as another woman, how did you, I mean, it, it was infuriating for me to watch. Were you ever infuriated by some of the, the dialogue happening around this story? Yeah, I mean, I, that my brilliant uh, colleague, Sam Stark, the producer director of the piece, she's the one that asked that paparazzi, do you think you played a role in, you know, Brittany potentially having a breakdown. And she says, no, because she never said, leave us alone. And Sam, my colleague says, what about all the times she said, leave me alone? We know about countless times. And he says, oh, you what about the time she flicked you off yes. <laughs> to <Yeah>. the camera? <laughs> Exactly. And he says, well, she meant leave me alone for the day, not leave me alone forever. And I think, as you put it, it just goes to show the like rationalizations that were built into this machine, this tabloid industrial gossip machine. Um, and I also think that we all played a part of it, too. Or personally, you know, I bought those tabloids. I clicked on Perez Hilton. So I think like consumers fueled that appetite for those paparazzi to, you know, invade her space like that. Yeah. It was really indicative of the times to your point earlier, Liz. And it makes me think of that quote, you know, if you knew better, do you do better? We're having so many public reckonings, even now in different spaces and in different contexts. And it's one of those things where when the opportunity presents itself to do better and to say, oh God, in hindsight, looking back, if I knew then what I know now, I may have approached it differently. You hope that that's how people approach these things. It's really surprising and a bit off-putting when you hear that someone still refuses to, to take ownership in their part, even when grace is being extended. If only you can say, I didn't know then. Um, I want to get to those later years where, you know, you talk about the predicament, the, the situation in which Brittany finds herself more recently. Uh, one big sort of uh, do I want to say crack in the facade or, or an, an indicator that things may be, you know, troublesome uh, was January 3rd, 2004. Britney Spears uh, married her childhood friend, Jason Allen Alexander in Las Vegas. That marriage lasted 55 hours. The marriage was annulled. And according to Jason, from an interview that he actually gave to Access Hollywood back in 2004, he said it was just quote unquote crazy. And they were looking at each other and said, quote, let's do something wild and crazy and go get married just for the hell of it. So context, as we listen to this clip from 2004, Brittany had just gotten her marriage annulled about a month prior to this clip. And the quote unquote do over part of the question that we're all going to hear uh, will make a little more sense with this context. So uh, let's go ahead and listen and talk about that on the other side, too. I would love to do more movies. Um, I would love to uh, 
do more amazing albums, win an Oscar, everything. Really? You want to do yeah. that much acting? Yeah. You could, how, how much do you want to transfer from the music world to the movie world? Um, I'd like to do it all, you know? I'd like to go back and forth to everything. Is there so. anything that you would want to do over? You've got so many proud moments. Anything that you could go back and... No. Mm -mm. Everything you would keep the same? Yeah. Why? Because even, even if there's things that you say, which you've been... You've said many times that there are certain things that you wish you hadn't done. Well, I think that there's some things that you wish you hadn't done, but I think you learn from those things. And you just kind of, I mean, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And I wouldn't, you know, I think hardships sometimes are good for people. How do you feel so. like you have grown up and, and everything that you've had to experience and your life being in such a fishbowl? How do you think that you've grown up in the past few years? I think just, you know, my dedication and going through things, sometimes hardships in the public eye, it kind of makes you a little bit more wake up and be aware and just kind of, um, I don't know, it makes you want to be a better person for other people and just like even the fans out there. And, you know, that's inspiration for me. Like it just, I don't know. And I think um, just growing up and having a, a major support system around me has made me like, it's amazing. It's very cool. How does your mom, I, I just love seeing you with your mom so much and holding hands in magazines and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. How does your mom, when, when she knows that you're going through some things and, and you know, the things mm -hmm. that you've talked about that, that have been tough, which I think you've handled very well, mm -hmm. but how does, she, how does she play as far as the support? She's amazing. She is awesome. She talks briefly about her mom. She talks about not wanting to do over anything. The implication perhaps being that 55-hour marriage that happened about a month before this interview. Liz, was there anything that stood out to you listening to this clip from The Vault? Yeah, I think like it really epitomizes Britney's personality. We... Um, we include a clip in the film of a 2008 documentary MTV did about Britney and it's post her worst moments that played out in the public eye, you know, shaving her head and having a 5150 involuntary psychiatric hold. And the interviewer kind of asked her like, Oh, do you want the public's sympathy? And she says, no, I don't want sympathy. I want people's understanding and I want a little privacy and I'd like a day off. And I think that like wisdom of knowing, you know, how privileged she is, but also like kind of having no regrets is like very much so, you know, a part of Britney's personality. And I think is something that I respect. I think that's quite cool. The 2008 is when she finally was like, I've had enough, right? The, the umbrella, the head shaving, that situation. Do you remember, do you guys remember when she came back to, I believe it was the MTV Awards and it was that big, the Gimme More performance and everyone talked about like, wait, what this was supposed to be the big comeback performance. What is happening? Mm -hmm. What is going on? Yeah. I remember that, I was in Vegas for that show. And I remember being like, whoa. I was surprised to not see it as a part of the um the doc framing britney was there a reason why you guys didn't go there was it we had it in um up until quite you know late um but we ended up cutting it for time it kind of felt we were struggling with a way to do it that felt additive and not just another like tick tock telling Britney's like, story like behind the music or something mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. for me I think the way that we might have been able to do it was to really focus on the way she was ridiculed you know Sarah Silverman gave a performance at that VMAs where she you know called Britney's kids adorable mistakes and like just mocked her to her face um mm -hmm. And it's also interesting, there's footage of the people in the audience. And I think Kanye West, they show Kanye West, and he might be one of the only people who's not like, uh, you know, like laughing at Britney being a quote unquote train wreck. And I thought that was really interesting, knowing mm -hmm. later, you know, the parallels in some ways of their stories. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, we had it in there. We grappled with ways to do it, but ultimately just cut it for time. Whoa, Liz, you've said something I think I've only heard one other person, my mom actually say, is the parallels between Kanye West and Britney Spears as far as their experience with the fame and the rise and what seems like in a lot of ways the fall. Totally. And I think uh, like 
a lot of people brought it up when we were doing our research and reporting. And, you know, there are a lot of parallels in the way people have like mocked them or delighted in, you know, their struggles. But I also think it's interesting that, you know, Brittany is not in control of her money, has had that taken away from her and her dad has been in control of her money. And Kanye still has, you know, control of the vast fortune that he's built and earned. Um, Mm. And, you know, is that does that what does that say about gender? I don't know. A lot of people have different opinions about that. Um, But I think it's pretty interesting. Um, okay, so let's fast forward to October 2004. Brittany married uh, Kevin Federline, and after three months of dating, actually, and a lot of people at the time were like, whoo, that's fast. But now, that's like, <laughs> especially in quarantine, that's like seven Light years. years. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it, you know? Uh, the couple welcomed their first son, Sean Preston, in September 2005. And just six months later, she visited New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina hit and opened up about how life had changed since becoming a mom. Listen to this. Words can't, you know, words can't explain. And that's all I can, you know, you just, it's just, it's amazing. I can tell. You have a whole different glow to you. Oh, well, thank you. You really do. Well, thank you. You said something that really caught my attention in People Magazine where you said, I didn't realize I could sing till after I had the baby. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Well, I just felt like you get to a point when um, you start singing for, you know, it's like a job and you, you know, which you love. But I started singing um, with him in a, in a way that where I really enjoyed it. And I think when you really enjoy something, it sounds so much better. You're right. The passion's so, different. The passion's different, exactly. So I think that's probably what happened. I mean, we all went like this Mm. (laughs) when she talks about her kids. I mean, right? And like, especially saying that I I didn't know that I could sing or that the love of singing had returned after learning to love or beginning to love this little kid, my, you know, her her kid. It it is um, striking because you know, there was a part of the of the uh, Framing Britney doc where I think she was traveling in Europe, right, with Lindsay Lohan and, and hitting various clubs. And the commentary was like, where are your kids? You know what I mean? And I think about how if, if there's one thing a mom deserves, it's a break. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a break, right? It's a break. It's, you know, and and maybe that's one of the things that I guess we're all learning in quarantine as as a lot of fathers are having to pick up some slack where in other ways, you know, wouldn't have happened without this kind of worldwide shutdown. You can't get away. But man, just hearing her talk about her kids, it's like um, it was a really sweet thing to say. Absolutely. And that was a big revelation in our research and reporting was Brittany from, you know, a very young age, she's 17 years old giving interviews and she's talking about wanting kids and how important a family is to her. And in a way that feels very surprising and you don't feel like you see, you know, the 17 year old stars today doing that. Um, And it feels very sincere too. And we also heard from just everyone who knows her that her kids are like the number one thing in her life. And we also heard from a lawyer that she tried to hire in the early days of the conservatorship that she kind of accepted the conservatorship was going to happen because she felt it was, you know, the best way that she would retain or regain custody and be able to see her kids. So Mm. I think that like her relationship with her kids, and you can see it on Instagram too, um, is like a really important story, part of the story of who Brittany is and, you know, just how important motherhood is to her. And I'd also add just personal news. I gave birth two days before the documentary premiered. So I was pregnant during most of this research and reporting and listened to a ton of Britney so much that I joke that my baby's going to always, you know, have a connection to Britney Spears' music. But (laughs) I, I was just so touched by hearing her talk about how important her kids are and her relationship to her kids. Um, and I think a lot of people don't, don't know that about her. 
Mm-hmm. When you talk about that, about how close she is with how much she loves her children, it really breaks my heart because we think about where she is right now. We think mm-hmm. about this conservatorship. We think about this free Britney movement. And good God, I mean, for the listeners who are tuned in right now, who maybe haven't checked out the documentary before, can you just kind of in summation break down where exactly Britney is right now, what this conservatorship is, and why why there's a need for a hashtag free Britney movement. Why can Britney not free herself, if not from the conservatorship, from the this specific person who's in control of it right now? And go see the, the documentary right now. Just go. Right. And then go watch. Just after you finish this podcast episode, dig it up on Hulu and then just go ahead and give it a listen. Yes, the documentary will explain everything much better than mm-hmm, me. But mm-hmm. um, basically, for the last 13 years, uh, Britney Spears has been under a conservatorship, which means she does not con- fully control her personal life or her money. And um, it's a very unique legal arrangement in which someone else is given special powers over those things for her. And um Right now, uh, in the last few months, she has been fighting with her father over the control of her fortune in court. And her lawyer is saying, Brittany does not want her father in control of her money anymore. She won't perform anymore as long as he's in charge. And she's told me multiple times she's scared of her father. Her father, Jamie, is refusing to step down. He says, you know, I've done a good job. I love my daughter um, and I should stay in charge. So this battle, you know, there was a court hearing last week in which not much happened. The judge allowed uh, both Jamie to stay in charge alongside the financial company. Brittany wants to run her estate. Um, But what's what we predict will play out is the battle will only heat up further and uh, Brittany's going to fight, really fight to get her dad removed. And we know that the court system is pretty slow. So whatever will play out will probably take a while and it'll be really expensive. Brittany's paying for the lawyers on both sides and it'll probably be ugly, you know, if they start really like throwing accusations against each other, it could get quite fierce. The fact I just it's the fact that she's paying for both the and forgive my ignorance, right? I don't I know very little about how a conservatorship works. In fact, I know nothing outside of what we have talked about today and the the reading through the Free Britney uh um hashtag and and posts. But it just seems that if you're a father of a daughter and you say you love your daughter and she's like, I'm afraid of you, I want anybody but you you maybe find a company who you can both agree on and you move on. You add, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. That's a really good point. And we heard that from a lot of experts who said, you know, listen, Brittany is not trying to appoint some random guy on the street or like Mm -hmm. a boyfriend that she's known for two weeks. She's picked a very well-respected large uh, financial company that you know, handles money for Apple and Oprah and Amazon. Um, And she's 39 years old. And she's saying to her dad, you know, I don't want you in charge anymore. Um, So I think it raises a lot of legitimate questions as to why he is refusing to step down. Yeah. And that that's what I hesitated to say, Scott, as you broke down all of that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that is what I would expect my father to do or yeah. some other fathers to do. But, you know, the implication, the sort of elephant in the room is exactly, you know, what you were saying, Liz, which is why, why not? And that makes it all the more heartbreaking mm-hmm. that she is essentially trapped. I'll, I'll speak for myself when I say it feels like she's trapped in this in this conservatorship, in this situation uh, by the one person it sounds like she would very much like of. to be free from and is afraid of. So yeah. it's, it's really sad. But it, it is amazing um, the response that we've all witnessed, that we've been a part of, uh, the way that this documentary is resonating with the public. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that through, through uh, the public outcry, through this renewed conversation because of Framing Britney, uh, maybe there could be movement in that space. Liz, do you feel that that is 
um, even realistic. I mean, what is legal is legal. What's happening in the court is happening in the court. We've seen the the public was trying to free the Tiger King 15 minutes ago. You know what I mean? That we see how that played <laughs> out vote, for them. And vote so, for him for mayor or governor listen, or something, oh right? Oh my gosh. So I just say that to say what the public wants and what is actually possible or legal are two entirely different things. So how do you see this playing out? How do you hope it plays out? Yeah, that's a really important distinction is as much attention as it's getting among the public, that is totally separate than the way the law is written and the way the judge rules in a courtroom. And also there's a lot of sealed records that we just don't know. So um, there's a lot that we don't know, but what is expected is that Brittany's lawyer is really going to ramp up his arguments to remove why Jamie should be removed. And part of that will be um, raising specific issues and allegations with the way Jamie is manage Britney's money. So personally, that's what I'm most interested in keeping an eye on. I think depending on how strong of a case they make, that might allow the judge to say, yes, there is reason to remove you. Because it's quite a, a dra- if he's not willing to step down, it's quite a drastic step to say you have to leave. Um, so, you know, I think I, I wouldn't put a bet, you know, try to put numbers on it, but I think it is possible that she'll, she'll get him removed. I think it's, I think it's likely he won't step down. She'll have to get him removed. Liz, you talked about the difference about what's happening in the courtroom versus what's happening in public, but it is, it shouldn't go unmentioned that there have been some significant shifts in tone and attitude uh, since the release of your Doc, Justin Timberlake coming out and apologizing. I mean, I, I read the statement. Um, it seemed to be um, genuine. It seemed to be in response to public pressure. Um, but it seemed to perhaps be the thing that maybe has been on his heart for some time and, and needed that final kind of um, push, that final kind of wake up moment. What did you think of the apology and maybe even some of the the commentary around the the apology uh, yourself? Yeah. So, you know, I, I always get uneasy and uncomfortable when people get the pitchforks out and really come for someone. Um, So, you know, part of me kind of felt for him to see, you know, the level of fear that was coming toward being directed towards him. Because ultimately, there were a lot of people who acted that way. And there were, you know, a lot of people helped him make that music video. It wasn't just Justin Timberlake going after Britney Spears. Um, And but, you know, at the same time, him deciding to come out with that statement, I'm sure involves publicists. It involves like a whole machinery of people who are giving him advice that, you know, you have to do this, whether or not you want to do it or how painful it is to do it right now. Um, But again, I think I'm most interested in like not necessarily hearing his apology, but just the conversation that it sparks among normal people who recognize like, okay, you know, I'm going to change my behavior moving forward so that I don't, you know, laugh at these jokes anymore. I don't unfairly judge someone like this again. This was the this was the line that stuck out to me. I know this apology is a first step and dot and does not absolve the past. Uh, he goes on to say, I want to take responsibility for my own missteps in all this and as well be a part of the world that uplifts and supports. And I was, and my hope is that anyone who is on the other side of this thing also can take that as a cue, you know what I mean? To check themselves in situations where they might be coming outside of themselves and say, is this being helpful? Is this being um, hurtful? Um, And am I doing what I intend to be doing right now? You know? Yeah. I think you're right in that it it felt like punching down, you know, I think that's why people reacted so harshly towards it because there were a lot of clips we could have included a lot more of justin in the film quite frankly and you might see the clips circulating on twitter um he you know there was a moment i think around 2007 or 2008 he's accepting an award and he looks into the camera and says like you know who stop drinking you're making a mess out of yourself and the tabloids are gonna say blah 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 
And you do, you really feel like at that moment, that's punching down and really going after someone who, you know, is struggling. Um, But as you say, I think it's a good reminder that like, whether or not Justin will do this again, I'm sure he won't, but like the audience for that apology and the conversations it sparked is way more interesting for people to look at themselves and be like, hi, I I don't want to punch down. I want to uplift. Uh, tell me this before we let you go. Do you know if Britney Spears has actually seen the documentary? So that's a big, the big $60 million question. Um, we don't know. We have heard that um, she is aware of it and that she's aware of everything in it. Whether or not she's actually watched it, we don't know. Listen, that's going to be, you know, they, they mm. say that uh, Camilla watches The Crown. <laughs> Oh right! With a glass, with a glass of wine. I'm just saying, if we, the day we like, find out that Brittany is back, and like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lot of mercy. Thank you so much, Liz. This has been Liz, so thank awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Well, I mean, listen. This has certainly been one of our favorite episodes. It has been uh, a difficult one, but I think a necessary one. If you haven't liked and subscribed by now. Go ahead, press the button. Don't even wait. Just go while I'm talking to you right now. Scroll up, hit subscribe. There you go. Boom. And hit and five stars. There you go. There you go. Yep. That's good. <laughs> I'm Scott Evans. And I'm Zuri Hall. Bye. Catch you next time. Why do we ruin this every time? <laughs> every You've time. We've been doing these outros it's for just, months. It's just goodbye. So it's do just I go? Bye. Do you go? Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs> The Vault by Access Hollywood is hosted by Scott Evans and Zuri Hall, produced by Access Hollywood Digital's Jenny Depper and Rebecca Zamer, and Digital Media Management's Grant Rutter, Audrey Povar, and Ryan Middledorf, and Trey Boudet. Join us next week when we open up that vault again for more iconic celebrity interviews and all things entertainment. Rate, subscribe, and share. 